share a uh, brief vision as Greg gets himself positioned here. Yes, the Lord, if I should share it, it was very interesting. Um, throughout that song, and even a little bit beforehand, um, as I was praying, and then the Lord had me pray in the spirit a little bit, um, it was such a beautiful atmosphere, and I began to see, um, the Lord showed me that there were all kinds of angels just descending around the room. What was interesting, though, is at first it was so beautiful. It stayed beautiful, but at first it was so beautiful. And I noticed that as they were descending, they were really bright, in white, but also a silhouette of white in terms of light. They were all lit up. And they came down, and I... And then it went away, and then it, I came back to the vision, and, and I saw that same thing again. I said, Lord, what is this? And I noticed that it was, it was like they came down on, on ropes, you know, if you were lowering yourself on a rope, and they all had rifles. And so I said, that's interesting. They, they began to spread out on the perimeter, and then I noticed there was like this invisible dome, and on the top there were like sniper angels with long-range rifles, that were pointed in different directions. And and then as we were singing toward the end of the song, then I saw the brightest light. Jesus was standing right in the middle of the room, just with light just exhuming it. Just, he, you couldn't see him even in detail because he was just light radiating. And so I don't know exactly what the rifles meant, but it was like the protective seal of anything trying to come. In fact, I said, Lord, is this, is this something coming, coming against us? And... And nothing was even trying because the rifles were very intimidating. It was beautiful, but it was extremely um, intimidating in a, in a light way. So just wanted to share that. That uh, By the way, that's what worship does. It drives the enemy away. So. Amen. I think I've got a little bit of feedback on my, on my mic here. Let's pray. Father, we worship you, we praise you, we love you. And Lord, we give this time and focus to you with the desire of seeking your face. Not that we want you just in this time, because we want you always. But Father, right now we specifically come before you seeking your face to hear from you the desires of your heart for the purpose of direction, for the purpose of understanding for the purpose of relationship. We love you. We praise you. And Lord, I pray that you speak through me your words and your words only. I give you my mouth. I give you my will, my heart. All of those are yours to do with as you please. So I ask your will be done. In Jesus' precious name, amen. 
Well, if you've known me for any length of time, you know that if you come on Thanksgiving, there's probably a good chance you won't get a Thanksgiving message. If you come at Christmas, I'm going to now guarantee you that this is not a Christmas message. I will speak what the Lord gives me. And this morning I was speaking with him and he said something very interesting to me. And, and by the way, all of this can apply to Christmas. All of this can apply to the reason God sent his son in the first place, which was really probably more like springtime, but we won't get into that. Right? All of it can be applied to him. Every little bit of what he does in and through our lives applies to him. Applies to the reason Jesus came in the first place. So in that way, I offer a Christmas message. <laughs> but I was sitting with him this morning and he said something to me I, I found interesting. And he wanted me to ponder this. I mean, I felt immediately I knew the answer, but he wanted me to ponder it anyways. And that is, what is love? What does love really mean? What is love? What's the, not the definition of love, but what is the truest picture of love? And immediately in my mind, it's probably as yours, the truest picture of love is the saving grace of Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Messiah, who came to this earth, who inserted himself into his own creation, who then gave his perfect, sinless life on the cross for our sin. Who then, because death could not hold him, he had already defeated death. He rose from the grave through the power of the Holy Spirit. And even now ascended, he sits at the right hand of the Father, awaiting his enemies to be made his footstool. Boy, we could spend days right there. And, and I think we did do a message on that a month ago or so, right? About his enemies being made into his footstool. If you're waiting for Jesus Christ to come and do all this, you don't understand his message. You don't understand the, the purpose for relationship. The purpose for relationship the purpose for faith, the purpose, honestly, for you to stay on this earth after you've received Jesus Christ as Savior is because you have a reason for being here. And by the way, that reason is not just evangelism. It's not just sharing Jesus Christ as Savior. If it is, we're all doing pretty poorly. If that's literally the only reason we're to be here then we're all doing pretty poorly unless we can say that we talk to literally everybody that we see, which we can't, obviously. And that's not God's intent. The real reason we are to build, be here is to build relationship with him to literally become a vessel in this realm that he uses as his hands and feet. And that's literally why we are here. He wants to partner with us in the readying of the bride. So what is love? 
I got to thinking about that, and, and like you, I'm sure, my first thought goes to 1 Corinthians 13, well, the love chapter. It's all just kind of included in there, God. This is pretty easy. Give me a quick little three-point outline, and we'll run with it. So let's go to 1 Corinthians 13. He didn't give me a three-point outline, by the way. In fact, as usual, at the time, he gave me nothing except thoughts to ponder on. So let's follow some of those thoughts. 1 Corinthians 13, we'll begin at verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels... Now, by the way, this had just gone through the chapter that talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So when he is talking about tongues, he's talking about prophecy, he's talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's in reference to what he just taught on. And and what I mean by he, I mean what Paul just taught on through the Holy Spirit. So... At the beginning here, when he says, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels, he is talking about the gifting of tongues as well as other things. But he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, I just make noise. And if I have prophetic powers and understanding all mysteries and all knowledge And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. (coughs) If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Then he goes in to explain a little bit about what love is. Love is patient. And kind, and this this is the point that when I start reading this, okay, God, get to the good stuff. This is what you want to to clarify as to what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. Okay, those ones are obvious. Love doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. Okay, there's my first check. Okay, wait a second. There were real times when Jesus was pretty rude. So maybe my definition of what rude is needs to be in check. Right? Are you with me in that? When he spoke to the Pharisees, he was not what I would consider in my mind having a loving tone. (laughs) Oh, he... You snakes and scorpions. Brood of vipers. Brood of, brood of vipers. You guys are horrible. You may as well just die. Right? I mean, you know, it's not the tone. No, that's not how he delivered it. In fact, he delivered it to where they were constantly offended by him. So, okay, first check there. Wait a second. Because the Bible is 100% correct. So when it says that love is not rude, I have to check now my understanding of that word. What does that word mean? What does the word rude mean? And and we're not going to get in and parse all this. That's not the point. You're going to get the point here in a minute. But love is not rude. It does not insist on its own way. 
It is not irritable or resentful. Now, by the way, I, I, when, when I was first reading this, I'm, I'm picturing, you know, we know love is the perfection of God. God is love, right? The Bible teaches us love exudes from him. He is literal love itself. Okay? So, wait a second. It says here that it does not insist on its own way. Okay, that's another thing i got to get over. Because the reality, if you consider the end being heaven or hell, doesn't love insist on its own way? That was my thought. Now this one I will share with you the answer. Because, no, it did not insist on its own way. If it did, we would all be robots and we would all end up in heaven because we would have no choice. Love did not insist on its own way. It gave us a choice. It's not irritable or resentful. Verse 6, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. I highlighted that one and underlined it in my Bible. Because that's one we don't get as a church. As a bride, I mean. As a bride, we have not gotten it for years. Let me repeat it. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. It does not stand in agreement with things that are against God's word. Okay, wait a minute. Maybe that helps us to begin to understand that idea of what's rude and what's not rude. Verse 7, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. In other words, love is all-encompassing in everything that God wants to do. It encompasses everything. Everything in God's creation has to do with love. Nothing escapes it. Let's just go through the rest of this chapter. Love never ends. As for prophecies... Remember, he had just gone through the gifts of the Spirit. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they'll cease. As for knowledge or gifts of knowledge, it'll pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Can I just point out a pet peeve here real quick in mind? Okay, the partial is, is not... The completed word of God. Okay? It's not the canonized word of God. And, and I, I can say this with authority because that's what I believed for 40 years. That's what I believed in 30 years of teaching the Bible was that it was the, the completed word of God, the canonicity of the Bible that came, and that was the perfect, and because of that, all the gifts passed away. Okay, that's baloney. It's not even smart logic. It's stupid. It's really stupid. And and again, I can say that from authority because of what I used to believe. I know that thought process, and it is based on nothing. If you continue reading in the chapter, you're going to understand why. 
Verse 11, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now, and Paul is talking about now in his time, and it equates to now in our time as well, we see in a mirror dimly. But then face to face. Who do you think he's talking about? Is he talking about the canonized word of God? That, that then they didn't have the entire Bible. It hadn't been canonized yet. So they kind of see through this glass dimly. It's kind of hazy. Right? It's not so clear in understanding the things that, the, that, that God is saying through his word. Okay, but then, all of a sudden, when the perfect comes, the perfect, we can see clearly. We can see face to face. So let me ask you, with the Bible as it is right now, canonized as we know it, 66 books by over 40 authors, how clearly is it known to his bride? How about hardly not at all? <laughs> How about, not only is it dim and unclear, but it's got mud all over it. Mud all over the glass that literally people put up there themselves. No, the stupidity of, of thinking that this is the canonized Word of God is not recognizing that the perfect, the complete, is Jesus Christ. And it is His completeness in love, which is what the chapter is talking about. It's not talking about the love exuding from these 66 books. If you think, and forgive me, this will offend people, if you think this is all God speaks, you're foolish in your thought process. Not only that, you are foolish to the point of your own destruction. Because what happens when we simply believe in a principle versus when we build relationship with that one who said the principle, there's a different outcome. There's a different belief level. There's a different faith that comes from that. No love, the perfect love, is displayed in Jesus Christ. That is the only man, the only connection to man that has ever or will ever have perfect love. And when the perfect comes, right, when he comes again, faith will no longer be needed. That's what the Bible says, right? We'll see him face to face. But until then, we are accepting by faith this relationship that we build with him. So it says, but then we see him face to face. Now we know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. In other words, God has always known me from the beginning. He created me. He knew me before I was ever a thought. So he knows everything about me. The Bible says he, he knows the hairs on my head. He's counted them all. He knows them all. He knows everything about his creation. When we see him face to face, we're going to know how he knows us. What an incredible thought. 
What intimacy? That, that is the purity of intimacy for us to recognize that he knows every bit about who we are. Why? Because he created us. He knows how we're supposed to be. So, so in looking at this, you could sum up very easily that love is passive. And by the way, I say this because it's exactly what the church has done. Well, love is passive. It's, it's caring. It's, it's patient. It's kind. Doesn't boast. It's not arrogant. Not rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable, resentful. But then you have a problem when you get to the next part where it says it doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing. So for a clearer picture of what love is, remember God being love, we have to look at his entire character. We have to look at who he is. How about this? Those of you who don't believe that the gifts are for today, that's fine. I got you. No problem at all. You can believe that all you want. But if you believe that the canon is the ultimate voice of God and that he speaks through all 66 of these books, then you better go to the Old Testament and you better be able to figure out why it's different than what we think right here. Why sometimes he does go after his creation. Now what they've done so many times is they've decided, well, the Old Testament was for a different time. It no longer applies to a day, to today. It's a different covenant. And yet, Paul talked about the fact that the covenant never ended. It will be fulfilled. All the prophecies with Israel will be fulfilled. But a better covenant, now I believe it was Paul, but the writer of Hebrews says, the better covenant has been offered, and that's the covenant of Jesus Christ's blood. Didn't get rid of the old covenant. Didn't get rid of the old promises. It didn't change who God is. God, it says in Scripture, is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So let's look at another aspect of what love looks like. I want you to turn to Deuteronomy. Uh Uh-oh. Old Testament. We know what things are like there. Deuteronomy 32. I, I love this. It's called the Song of Moses, and I'm thinking... Moses is a horrible, morbid writer of songs. I mean, think about it. I would love to hear this to music because it's, it, it must all be in a minor chord, and I love minor chord music. So I'm sure the whole thing's in minor chord. But let's, let's read that. I'm going to read this entire thing. It's, it's a lot, but I want you to get the flavor of what's going on here. Recognize the time that this is happening. This is literally the freeing of Israel and the desire to bring Israel into their rest, into their promised land, into what God has promised them from the beginning. Okay, before they were ever a nation, he promised it to Abraham, 
who, by the way, was the first Jew who was not a Jew. Just saying. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak. And let the earth hear of the words of my mouth. May my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, like gentle rain upon the tender grass, and like showers upon the herb. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. The rock, his work is perfect. For all his ways are justice. The God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. They have dealt corruptly with him. Who's they? People. His creation. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are crooked and twist and a twisted generation. Do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Is not he your father who created you, who made you and established you? Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you your elders and they will tell you. When the Most High gave to the nation. Now, by the way, what he's talking about here, he's not talking about Israel yet. Okay, please understand. He's, he's given a history lesson in the beginning of this song. He's taking it from when there was this great rebellion that we know as the Tower of Babel. Okay, at the Tower of Babel, the nations were dispersed, right? They were broken up. But it wasn't just that. They were broken up according, which you'll see in a second, according to the number of the sons of God. They were literally given what they asked for. Mankind. Mankind wanted idols to rule over them. That's what God gave them. Now those idols are demonic spirits, fallen principalities. But that happened at the Tower of Babel. So let, let's start at, at verse 8 again. So, so this history lesson is what he's talking about here. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance... When he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. Just as a side note, and you could go back. I, I think we did a, a message series on this a long time ago. But, um, but this was God's original counsel. If you, if you think God's original counsel was all good, you're, you're wrong. Go look it up. Look up 1 Kings 22. And, and you'll, you'll get an idea of what his original counsel was. But the Lord's portion, his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage that came after Babel. In fact, um, I want to say that Abraham, I hope, I hope I'm right on that. I think it was about 300 years after the Tower of Babel, after the disbursement. About 300 years later, if I recall correctly, uh, Abraham first came on the scene. So literally, God gave the people, the nations away to his enemy, what he calls there the sons of God, or, or these, these, uh, um, the, these fallen principalities. And then out of that, he developed a portion for himself. That's what he's talking about here. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. 
Verse 10. He found him in a desert land and in the howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled him. He cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. The Lord alone guided him. No foreign god was with him. He made him ride on the high places of the land, and he ate the produce of the field. He suckled him with the honey out of the rock and oil out of the flinty rock. Curds from the herd and milk from the flock with fat of lambs. Rams of Bashan and goats with the very finest of wheat. And you drank foaming wine made from the blood of the grape. But Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, stout, and sleek. Then he forsook God who made him, and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. They stirred him to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons that were no gods at all, to gods they had never known, to new gods they had come, that had come recently. By the way, interesting study right there. I won't go down that rabbit hole, but very interesting study what it means by new gods that came recently. You can refer back to Genesis 6 and the ongoing plan of Satan for that. Verse 18. You were unmindful of the rock that bore you, and you forgot the God who gave you birth. The Lord saw it and spurned them. Because of the provocation of his sons and his daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see that their end will be. For they are a perverse generation. Children of whom is no faithfulness. They have made me jealous with what is no God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. So I will make them jealous with those who are no people. (laughs) I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. For a fire is kindled by my anger and it burns to the depths of Sheol, devours the earth and its increase and sets on fire the foundations of the mountains. Recognize what's happened up to this point. Right? You have at the Tower of Babel, You have this disbursement of the nations. Literally, God saying in his counsel, I will not deal with you anymore. These people want you. They can have you. I disperse you, and I place them in charge. In that area, in that territory. This is really an incredible study because They were dispersed out to seven different places in the world. Talks about in Zechariah and other places. But they turned to other gods. Those who he had set aside for himself. Even after all he had done in developing this nation for himself... Right through Abraham, through Isaac, his son, through Jacob. All the things that had happened through Joseph, 
all the miracles of provision, all these things that God had done. And then over the course of that 400-year period that they were in Egypt, they turned their face from God. But yet God still heard their cry because they were slaves. He still heard their cry. He went and he brought them out of this land and gave them a new chance, gave them a new hope. And so Moses, what he's doing here is he's laying out what had happened in the future or in the past so it would not happen again in the future. So because of their lack of following God, because of their desire to serve other gods, God said this in verse 23, And I will heap disasters upon them. I will spend my arrows on them. They shall be wasted with hunger and devoured by plague and poisonous pestilence. I will send... You know what? Let me read that again, and I want you to keep something in your mind. God is love. God is perfect love. His righteousness is love. God is righteous. God is just. You have to put all these things in your mind to understand that God is love and the purest picture of what love is. Because otherwise you're going to say, that's not the kind of God I want to follow. If you don't understand his justice, if you don't understand the very reason why he does these things, then you're going to become skewed into your mind as to his goodness. Well, if, and how many times do you hear this? Well, if that's going to be how God is, then I'm, I'm not going to follow him. I don't follow the God of the Old Testament. Guess what? If you follow God at all, that's the God you're following. Okay? If, if, if it's not that God, then you're following something else. Because his justice is every part of his love. We read it in chapter 13 even. It required it. His righteousness was required in it. But let me read this again with you, starting at verse 23, with you keeping in your mind the idea that God is love. And keeping in your mind what his children, those who he had poured out into, had done in literally turning their backs on him. And I will heap disaster upon them. I will spend my arrows on them. They shall be wasted with hunger and devoured by plague and poisonous pestilence. I will send the teeth of beasts against them with the venom of things that crawl in the dust. Outdoor, in other words, my creation is going to turn against them. Boy, that goes back to last week when we talked about creation is groaning because it wants to see the sons of God. And see, I believe right now, and I think I mentioned it last week, that, that creation is groaning right now because it's beginning to see it. Creation itself is beginning to see that it is time for the sons of God to be revealed, for those who are wholly devoted in relationship to Jesus Christ 
to be revealed. For creation literally to see it. And you see things. I talked about it last week. The the terrible tornadoes that hit. You're going to see them again. You're going to see them more and more. The Lord has said it. The Lord has said these things will come of my creation because it groans for the revealing of those who love me. Of those who would say yes to me and say nothing else. Just yes. It groans. It's not climate change. I mean, I suppose it is in a way. It's certainly the climate changing. It's creation groaning. And you don't have to believe me. You don't have to believe that. You're going to see it. The Lord has said that you will see more tornadoes like that. You will see more hurricanes. In fact, he told me last week that you will see them when they are not supposed to come. I know we have seasons for these things. Typically, a tornado does not come in cold weather. You're going to see them in cold weather. You're going to see hurricanes in cold weather that, by the way, require hot water. Explain that one to me. I don't know. But you're going to see it. You're going to see the shift in this creation itself that will bring these changes because God is doing it. He said creation groans for these times because creation is also the one that is paid a price. And it's paid a price without a choice. (laughs) Right? Adam had the choice. Not creation. It's paid a price for that. How far down did I get? 24? 25? 25. Outdoors the the sword shall bereave and indoors terror. For young men and women alike. The nursing child with the man of gray hairs. I would have said I will cut them to pieces. I will wipe them from human memory. Okay, wait a second. God said that love is not rude. That sounds pretty rude to me. I'm going to wipe them out. That's really rude. Okay, when you mix that with his justice and his righteousness, it's not. It's truth. Truth is not. Truth is love. And, and we've talked about that before, about speaking truth. Had I not feared provocation by the enemy, lest their adversaries should misunderstand, lest they should say, our hand is triumphant, it was not the Lord who did all this. What he's saying there is, I would literally wipe them out. Erase them from even the memory of the earth. If it weren't for the fact that I will not give satisfaction to the enemy. I will not give satisfaction to him who thinks he rules this earth. The prince in the power of the air. I will not give satisfaction to him. So therefore I will not wipe them out. But he does bring these things on his children for the sake of us turning to him. Verse 28, 
For they are a nation void of counsel, and there is no understanding in them. If they were wise, they would understand this. They would discern their latter end. How could one have chased a thousand and two have put ten thousand to flight unless their rock had sold them? And the Lord had given them up. For their rock is not our rock, or is not as our rock. Our enemies are by themselves. For their vine comes from the vine of Sodom and from the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are grapes of poison. Their clusters are bitter. Their wine is the poison of serpents and the cruel venom of asps. Is not this laid up in store with me, sealed up by my treasuries? Vengeance is mine and recompense for the time when their foot shall slip. For the day of their calamity is at hand and their doom comes swiftly. Who's he talking about there? He's talking about the very ones that he allowed to take advantage coming against his people. Think about that. That has happened all throughout the word of God. Right? It happened in, when, when Israel was taken captive to Babylon. Right? Literally, literally, God was with Nebuchadnezzar to do that. He even told them, he said, give up to him. Don't fight him. If you fight him, you're going to lose. If you fight him, you're going to pay a bigger price. Give up. Of course, they wouldn't. And they paid a bigger price. But he allowed Babylon to come in and take them as slaves, to literally ravage his own children. But then it came a point after 70 years that that was to stop. And if you read, we won't get into it now, but if you read and study that, Babylon paid a price because of what they did to Israel. How they took advantage beyond what God was wanting to do. I mean, go go and read it. It's Book of Jeremiah talks about it. It was more than what God allowed them to do. They took advantage. That's what he's talking about here. That that as all these calamities come against his people. He will not blot them out because he will not give satisfaction to the enemy. But vengeance is his. He will turn around and he will vindicate his people. Those people who turn back to him. Who give him their yes. He will vindicate those people. That's what he's talking about here. Vengeance is mine. Again, verse 35. And recompense for the time When their foot shall slip, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and their doom comes swiftly. Talking about those who have come against his people. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion upon his servants. When he sees that their power is gone and there is none remaining, bond or free. (laughs) Guess what, guys? We're there. We're there. The church has no human authority here in this world, certainly in this country. In fact, systematically, the church is being shut down. 
or attempted to be. Got news for you. We have little power. We're just like the letter to the Church of Philadelphia in Revelation chapter 3. You have no power, but you hung on. You have no power, but you believed. Because of that, you will gain something because of your faith. And that gaining is the Lord's vindication. Verse 37, then he will say, where are their gods, the rock in which they took refuge, who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offering? Let them rise up and help you. Let them be your protection. He's kind of taunting the enemy there. See now, verse 39, see now that I, even I am he, and there is no God beside me. Remember, God is love, right? I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. The same God that said that over Israel speaks that today over this nation. This nation that is the only nation that I know of in history that chose God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to be under. Pull out any of your currency, it still says it on your currency, even though they don't act like it. But that's what we chose. That's why this nation was formed. Not under the forefathers. In fact, many of them are the ones that messed it up but under the heart of William Penn. See, it goes back some hundred or so years before we became a nation. Where all throughout that time, William Penn would, would gallop his horse into the forest and, and pray over this nation, over this land that wasn't even a nation yet. Praying for God to have a place that would follow him, a nation that would follow him. God will vindicate. Verse 40, for I lift up my hand to heaven and swear as I live forever. If I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand takes hold on judgment, I will take vengeance on my adversaries and will repay those who hate me. Why? Because he's just spiteful? Because he's vengeful? No, because he's love. What does love mean? You know, I, I grew up at a time where the word tough love was a big thing. You don't hear that anymore. Whenever, when they start taking spanking out and all that stuff, it's no more tough love. You know what tough love is? It's not the spanking. It's not the restriction. It's not hurting in any way. Tough love is doing the things that are tough for you, the person loving. Right? It's, it's not about being tough on the receiver. It's doing the tough things for those who you love. Think about it for a second. 
Are we against homosexuality? Yes. Are we against transgender bathrooms or the transgender movement? Yes. Do we love them? Absolutely. Does God love them? Absolutely. So if you really love them, and I'm speaking to the bride, if you really love them, do you not see what is on them? Do you not see what is really controlling their movement, controlling their thoughts, controlling what they're doing? That's why God says he loves the sinner but hates the sin. Because there is an understanding of, I won't say separation because we're the ones that choose to sin, but when we give our yes to an enemy, when we give our yes to Satan and his forces, then we start to go down a road that does guide us. Right? It does move us in a direction. And what we need to understand is when I look at somebody who is transgender, my love for them is that I want to see them free. God wants to see them free. And, and I'll tell you what, somewhere deep in, inside them, they want to see themselves free because they were created for that purpose. They were created with this portion in, in the deepest part of them that only God can fill. Only relationship with Him, only the love that we're talking about this morning can fill. But because of His righteousness, there's a cost to coming before Him. And that cost is our yes. That cost is us letting Him fight our sin. First by forgiving it, but then fighting the enemy that has been given authority in our lives. That's real love. You know, real love is, is not looking at my child and, and well, you know, I, I don't want to say no to her, so, yeah, you could go play out front. I know it's busy traffic out there, but you know what? I, I trust God. Hello? You know, no, you're going you're gonna to take precautions. You're going to tell the truth. You know, that, that is tough love. What happened to tough love in this nation? It, it's, it's gone by the wayside. I'm sorry, but what happened to spanking? Spanking was never supposed to be out of hate. Ever. Was it taken advantage of? Yeah, every sin is. Look at our... I'm sorry, but our government needs a spanking. <laughs> It really does. And, and by the way, I know I say that jokingly, but it's going to get one. It's going to get one in a heavy, heavy way. God is bringing judgment on this nation. And he's bringing judgment on this nation for the sake of those who have said yes to him. Do you understand? That's what we just read. 
Because there is a remnant in this nation. There is a remnant in the world that have said yes to him and have said, you are our God, none other. Vindicate our choice because we have chosen rightly. We have not chosen false gods. We have not limited your power by our beliefs, which, by the way, doesn't limit his power at all. It just limits us through stupidity. I mean, really. But in our own lives, we do not limit him. We let him do what he wants to do. There is that remnant here that does that. So he will vindicate that remnant. Oh, if this nation would just see, would just see that the pathway to to joy, the pathway to real love, the pathway to real peace is Jesus Christ. But they're going to see it. They're going to see it because his hand is going to force the clarity of it. Don't be surprised by what's going on in the world. Don't be surprised by what's going on in our nation right now. Just this past week, Red Clay School District all voted for transgender bathrooms. That ought to make your blood boil. But it shouldn't surprise you. Anybody surprised by this, your eyes just aren't even open as to what's going on. And it's going to get worse. That's going to get, that's going to, that's going to happen all over. Your freedoms are going to be stripped piece by piece by piece. Until you, as the bride, understand that they have no right to strip that piece from you. It is time for the bride to stand up. It is time for the bride to see who truly their salvation is. And the last place I want to turn to, I want you to turn. Let me make sure there wasn't anything there. Um, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 19. This was when Jesus was walking into his, into Jerusalem with the triumphal entry and, and all that, and he weeps over Jerusalem. He said, and when he drew near the city, verse 41, Luke 19, verse 41, when he drew near the city, drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. In other words, what he was saying, and we've always known this, we've always taught this, that that was their day of visitation. That was the day that had been prophesied by the book, by Daniel the prophet, literally down to the day, to the very day. And if if you want that, I, I did a message on that a couple of years ago. I mean, literally down to the day, the the priests should have known that Jesus was the Messiah. In fact, they did. That's why they got mad at the people with the triumphal entry that were worshiping worshiping him, and he said, quiet them down. Why was that a big deal? They had been doing that all over. 
because they were singing a certain song. And it was a song that was prophesied, would be sung on the day of the revealing of the Messiah. And again, Daniel took it down to the day. So this is an incredible time, and Jesus weeps and says, Oh, if you only would have known what brings peace. If you only would have known what love really means. If you only would have known that it has to be about God and not yourself. To bring that peace. To bring that love. To bring that joy. That is what it's going to require here for the United States and for the world. And you know, as the United States goes, so goes the world. That's what it's going to take here in the United States. Is the bride recognizing... And, and I, I hold out hope for the bride, but I'm just going to say the remnant because I know he will do it for the remnant. Those who do believe, those who have that faith, who, who are building relationship with him, he will vindicate them. Don't be afraid of what's coming. Lord said that there is civil war coming. The Lord said there is global war coming. The Lord has said that there is pestilence coming. The Lord has said that there is more death coming than has ever been seen on the planet. That's a pretty bold statement. Don't be afraid of these things because these are love. These are the vindication of God who deserves everything that we are. Everything that his creation is. I want to encourage the bride. Stand up because you are responsible. Right? You're responsible to lead those who do not know. Even if they think they know which the world does. They think that it's going to be better when we open our borders. They think it's going to be better when we have, you know, don't no distinction of bathrooms. They think it's going to be better when we mock the living God. They will learn very quickly that it is not. But as the bride, as the remnant bride, we have a responsibility because we know. We know. We have the answers. We're supposed to stand up. So I encourage you, stand. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid because as Paul said, don't be afraid of an enemy that all he can do is maybe hurt some flesh. That's nothing. Alexis, come on up. It's interesting how sometimes the obvious things that we've seen so many times are different um, than what we understand later after the Lord reveals it. And if you look at our logo, how it all came to be, and some of you know the story, and and, um, it's all going to be, you know, able to be explained and put out in somewhere. It probably is, but 
every single part of our, the word ignition and the fire and all of this, it was totally led of the Lord in every way. And we even have a, um, a moving um, logo that, that God just birthed so miraculously. It was so cool how it came about. But this is an active live flame, if you look at the orange on the word ignition. And this past week, I was in, um, also in Luke, just a lot. I mentioned that at the gifts meeting. And in, um, in, I just wanted to mention this verse before we pray, that in Luke 12, verse 49, it says, Jesus is talking here, and he's talking really from verse 35 about being ready. Just be ready, be ready. We talked about that in the ladies' class. And in verse 49, he says, I came to cast fire on the earth. And would that it already, would that it were already kindled. In the Amplified and some other translations, he said, and oh, I wish that it were already kindled. You know, even back then, he was beginning to talk about the things that were going to be burned up. The things that, to Greg's point in Deuteronomy, that are going to be destroyed. That are going to be shaken, as Hebrews talks about so that everything that cannot be shaken will stand. It is not an accident that we are called ignition. It is not an accident. It is not a coincidence. It's not because people think the look of flames is cool, that there are active flames on ignition. Jesus even said back then, oh, I wish that there was a kindled, another translation says, ignited flame because the fire that I'm casting on the earth is the fire that will burn up everything but the pure gold, the pure refined remnant that will be ready to take home. This is a process that we are in now that is really going to bring Jesus back to take us and to initially to rule through his bride because we know the third woe is when when his power comes jesus comes and then begins to move through his people it's going to be an amazing time but i just thought that was so amazing to you know we are to be the fire that that is sparked i i pray in fact i don't know if i've ever said this to you guys before but every single sunday the lord leads me to, I don't do it as a routine, I I do it as led by the Holy Spirit, but it has been every week, Um, I anoint Greg and pray over him, and one of the things that always comes out in my prayer is, Lord, release your fire upon his words and upon him to speak with boldness what you want to say, and I didn't really make the connection with all the things that have to do with fire. It was fire when Elijah and the, stood at the prophets of Baal. All, even the saturation of the water, he showed what power there was in the fire of God, of the holy God, coming down and burning up something that would not have normally been burned up. But God's fire will wash away everything that um, is temporal, is not of him, and um, it will purify. That is what refines. It's the heat of the fire that refines pure gold. So we can, uh, as was said last week, you know, you can, you can cooperate and have this, this um, 
end time harvest be a great awakening or it can be a rude awakening depending on what side of the line that we're on and we've been talking about it we are um whether you can feel it in your little tiny world or not there is an exponentially uh growing or speed maybe i should say there's an acceleration of speed in which these things are moving we're going to see more and more watch for tuesday what is even said from the government regarding a whole new opportunity to lock us down to mandate things um these things are unfolding before our eyes and every time the squeeze is put on it's an opportunity for god's people to stand and again as we spoke about in the ladies class to not Romans 1:16 not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ and what it represents it is the power of God unto salvation and um so it it starts with us and um so heed this word heed this word understand the true meaning of love there wasn't even it would take many many messages to really um do a deep dive but this is a great start because um we even mentioned this at the gifts meeting yesterday love is one of the most lied about twisted distorted things because satan knows nothing of it it is his kryptonite it is absolutely he does not know what to do with pure love love is powerful it it is like it's no wonder that the ignition fire is the love shield that is god burst all of this it was with intentionality all over it because it is something he's doing in this time as the remnant is rising up so let's pray father god we thank you we thank you for the truth of your word god we desire your truth jesus as we draw close to you in intimate relationship we know you are the truth you are the way you are the life god no man comes to the father but by you lord jesus we desire to know you to be intentional to be to have it be our supreme and highest purpose to know you as philippians 3:10 in the amplified talks about thank you that you gave us access to that to that being a reality because of what the blood of jesus paid for not just a a ticket for a home in heaven but to know you even now to move with you to have our being in you in the spirit by faith god i pray that you would open the eyes of your people who are already sealed who are already their spirits are sealed ephesians 1:13 they know they will be in heaven but who have just grown dull maybe fearful maybe deceived not understanding god wake up your people keep us our eyes open lord let there be no deadness no slumber Oh Jesus when you said when I come will I find faith in the earth Oh God I pray that we'd be able to raise our hand and say yes you will find it here We believe we believe we believe you and then the next thing you show us we'll believe you we will believe when we don't understand God I pray that you would draw us in closer to you that is the only way that we could possibly just be able to get through the Ephesians 3:20 exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever dare to ask or think. We can't even live in that place without intimacy with you because it just blows our minds. But God help us. Thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you that your love constrains us and draws us in. 
Oh, God, I pray your people this morning would just respond to your love. That there would be an end to the reaction of things around us and just let everything help us to just respond to what you are doing. For you are in control of all things. And I thank you for it. Thank you for this word, God. Let it be only a small introduction into our own deep dive into the secret place. All the things you've said in Psalm 91 that are upon us. God, the, the destruction that wasted that noonday. The, all the things that are the perilous times that are depicted so, so much in detail in that psalm. God, we are delivered and helped and strengthened through it all. When we live in the secret place of the Most High and abide under the shadow of the Almighty God. So thank you, God. Thank you that we even can go there, that we even have access. But God, help us to respond and stay in that place. Stay in that place so that we will enjoy the awakening of your, your move in these times. It will be mighty. God, we want more. We desire it, God. We long for you in this dry and thirsty land where no water is, God. We want to see your power and your glory. So as we have seen thee in the sanctuary, because your loving kindness is better than life, our lips will praise you. Thus we will bless you while we live. We will lift up our hands unto your name. God, thank you. Thank you, God, for who you are. Thank you for Christmas and what it means to celebrate when you came into this creation to make a way for all that has been talked about. We love you so much. We love you, God. We worship you. We honor you. Take us from this place just soaking in your presence. I pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. I will not be afraid, Lord.